podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome back to the AI Writers Podcast. I'm your co-host, Leanne. I was obviously away last week, so it's good to be back. Um, Tom did a brilliant podcast last week with some really super guests. So glad to be back, Tom. How have you been? Yeah, I've been good. Um, may I just say it's very, very good to have you back as well. Last week was, was good fun, but it was not the same without you. It's very, very kind of you. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's good, it's good to be back, and we've got another good guest on um, this week. Uh, Adam Petruchone has written an article on Joe Gomez, but before we get into his piece, which I do disagree with, uh, so we're going to have some. <laughs> you don't say, Leanne. As as we always do with Adam, yep, yeah, we always have some arguments on here. Uh, but Adam, how are you? Not too bad, Leanne. Thanks for having me back on the show. It's good to have you back on. Uh, just just yeah. before just before we get into it, sorry, I just I had to beg Adam not to go on and on and on about it. <laughs> Uh, so I had to say to him, look, Adam, I can have you on this pod. We can have a whole podcast dedicated to Joe Gomez, but please stop talking about it on every episode of Rate Don't Hate. Every single week, it's like, <laughs> get this, I get this. So in, in all the all the pre-pods as well, in, the, in sort of five minutes where we chat before the pod, every week I'm getting it in the neck about Joe Gomez. I just needed him to give him an outlet so he can finally vent everything. <laughs> well, yeah, he's going to certainly get his outlet now to talk about Joe Gomez. So Adam, why don't you take it away and just basically give us an overview of of your article which looks at you know, Joe Gomez the the kind of way he got injured and, and whether it was an error from Jurgen Klopp really to utilise him in the first place Sure um, I guess it's best to start out with a little bit of a timeline so this, this article it's mainly about Gomez but uh, sort of weaves in and out of the, the sort of Nathaniel Klein debacle as well so if you go back to all the way back to January of last year, really, when I remember doing a podcast with you guys, and um, there was, let's say, some odd rumors that started popping up about Nathaniel Klein, who was already out with a major injury at that point. Um, Trent and Gomez had already been sort of taking over the right back position at, at that juncture. And then that January transfer window comes and goes. People thought um, that if there was anything to those rumors that were going around at that time, the Klopp would have sent him packing either right then or certainly over the summer. And the summer comes and goes, and Klein isn't dealt, and he's part of the preseason, and he um, is filling in for Trent, who's on international duty, and Gomez, who was injured at that time from playing right back again. Um, but, uh, and everyone just sort of assumes at that point that he, that Klein is part of the deepest Liverpool squad that we've seen in a generation, except he's not. He's being held in sort of an exile, uh, only for that exile to be interrupted briefly by an injury crisis. And then meanwhile, in the fall, Gomez becomes part of the best center back duo, not just in England, but in Europe statistically. Um, but Klopp continues to periodically run him out at right back in order to squeeze in Lovren or Matip when they came back from injury. Um, and he would use him at right back periodically as sort of a designated stopper against some of our toughest opponents, like uh, against Neymar with PSG. Um, and then I don't know if he just needed to, if Klopp needed to, uh, 
you know, just try to get his center backs. Speaking of Lavern and Matip, more of a consistent run, but he starts um, playing Gomez at right back even against weaker opponents. So one cold day against Burnley, um, he chases down a Henderson ball to the end line about 80 yards from where he does his best work normally and uh, gets injured when uh, I guess he's tackled from behind, right? Um, so then, uh, fast forward a couple more weeks, Klein comes on for a couple of cameos when we're down to zero senior, uh, senior right backs because Trent Gomez and Milner have overlapping either injuries or absences, um, from suspension. And then just as quickly, he's dealt to Bournemouth, which has now become Liverpool's sort of, uh, retirement home for Klopp's banished players. Um, and Gomez, at this point, we're told, is just around the corner from coming back from his original injury. So, you know, I've, I've freaked out both in writing and on podcasts about, about the injury when it initially happened back in December. And then as the week sort of ticked off, I was thinking, well, you know, Klopp has shown me up again. He's going to get away with this, and, and we're going to come back with Gomez through over the spring, and we'll be fine. Um, and then as sort of... Uh, the bell strikes on uh, the transfer window. Hours later, <laughs> we, we get notified or leaked to the press or whatever the situation was that Gomez is not coming back. He's not right around the corner. And in fact, he's going to be out for uh, an additional six weeks. Um, so I was not impressed by the uh, release of information there. It's possible that that was uh, coincidental, but. I guess I'm skeptical because of some situations in the recent past with Liverpool. Um, and, uh, so that was, that was upsetting. And just the, it felt like they were trying to manipulate a situation where, um, they could have brought in additional help for right back, um, or just the defense in general, uh, given the injury records that we've just sort of touched upon there with, with, uh, Lovren and Matip. So, uh, Regardless, it seemed like if we were in a situation where you're going for the title and you've got an opponent that you're trying to best, like Manchester City, who is supposed to be one of the best Premier League teams in years as well, uh, you would think there would be a mentality there to sort of go for it. And if I'm, I'm assuming that Liverpool's medical team knew that Gomez was not right around the corner from coming back at the very least. And... Uh, it just really was stunning to me that the that the team, the organization from top to bottom, wouldn't do something there. So just the whole the whole thing from really the past year with this with this Klein Gomez situation has been just you know in an in an otherwise you know obviously this has been a spectacular year for Liverpool, but this has been a long running theme that has sort of been uh, under the radar that um, now it's a big deal. But this has been going on for a long time, and it's just a, a part of uh, uh, just the subtext of the past year that's been disappointing. And, and I don't understand why that's happened. I don't understand why the client situation wasn't dealt with more emphatically uh, in the beginning. So, you know, we ended up sort of having depth that wasn't really depth. Um, that should have been dealt with. And I don't understand why Gomez was played it right back after he proved to be as good a partner for, for Van Dyke as he was. And I felt like we treated that casually and especially for a team that we've been searching for that 
center back combination for the better part of 10 years. And then we finally get it and you're still casually you know, throwing this guy out at right back. Who's not a normal right back size. And I'm just, I've made this point on different shows before that just that I think that it's, I think you're more prone. Listen, I'm not, I'm not a, uh, sports physical therapist or, or anything like that, but uh, you know, to me, <laughs> he's, he's huge for a right back and you're more susceptible to injury uh, trying to do right back things when you're that size. So that was odd to me. And um, then at the end, just the way that we dealt with it, not trying to get a replacement in um, and immediately after the transfer deadline, then revealing to the fan base that he's out for an additional six weeks with a more serious injury than they let on originally, just all, just all a mess really overall. And like I said, for, for a team that's had such a good year, this is a really bad mark in my book. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack in this article. So I, I guess for me, the starting point anyway would be kind of looking at Joe Gomez playing that right back role. Because I think as as you kind of touched on, he has formed a really, really solid partnership with Virgil van Dijk this season. And it's something we've definitely missed, which we'll come on to about, you know, the the impact of not having Joe Gomez available and what it's done to the defensive picture this season. But you you touched on... You know, and in your article, you seem to give the the approach that you almost blame Klopp for the way he used Gomez in that right back role. And while I have always said and will always say that Joe Gomez should be a centre back, he I think Klopp is is now bought into this that playing him on the right actually, you know, it, it's not where his long term future is. It's not where he needs to be developing as a player. But in that situation. And something that I I think you kind of miss in your article, which I'm going to challenge you now, is we also have to remember that Trent Alexander-Arnold at this point in this season, he, he was kind of suffering a bit of a blip. I'm not saying that kind of excuses the, the use of Joe Gomez at right back, but at the end of the day, this is a player who has had a really, really good season. Klopp wants him in the side. He's got Trent who you know, was, was suffering a little bit from, a, from being out of form. And therefore, surely that's a factor because you, you can't just say, oh, Klopp, why have you shoehorned him in at right back? We could have played Trent, but actually then failed to recognise that Trent wasn't really on his games. So I'd just like to see sure. what, what you you know what you think of that before Tom comes in and, and hopefully agrees with me. <laughs> um, no, I hear you on that point, but then that sort of circles in the Klein standpoint of, you know, why didn't we? Why didn't we have real depth there rather than just the rotation of uh, Gomez and, and Trent? Who and I don't know. Maybe maybe we came into the season unprepared that that Gomez was going to be uh, such a good partner for Van Dyke in the first place. So I could see that, but I just think there was a stretch there of six seven weeks where Gomez and Van Dyke were imperious uh, and. <laughs> I just for for again just for for a club that's had we've gone through so many different combinations of center backs and it's not just our club, we've looked at all of our rivals spend un just unreal amounts of money on center backs from all over the continent, and most of them have failed. Um, most of them have been busts. So then we we get a combination that works tremendously, and then it just it just was a casual attitude from my from my standpoint you can't uh, Trent what Trent had you know basically a classic like world cup hangover 
Um, but you also, if you want to say that Gomez was unexpected in terms of how he came on the scene at center back, in terms of the preseason, Camacho also burst onto the scene at right back, and that's a little odd as well. I get that he's young, but he's uh, certainly has the physical abilities to get up and down on the right side and, and is able to attack within our system as well. So um, you would have thought that he could have been used in certain situations. See that I get I get using him if you're if you're saying if you're saying to yourself if you're Klopp and you're saying listen. We're going up against Neymar. This is, you know, at that point, like a, a must-win game. Uh, and Gomez gives me my best chance here. God bless. You know, use him. Use whatever crazy formation you got to do to to get the job done at that point. That's fine. But then away at Burnley, <laughs> and then there was another game right around there with Crystal Palace as well. Like you can't tell me that in that situation with the rest of the squad healthy that we couldn't have played Camacho there or done some other type of we weren't playing Fabinho at that point you couldn't have played Fabinho there and kept the pairing that was working at the time at center back and also not risk the kid either so that's my standpoint I think I think there's a lot to unpack there as Leanne said I think the first thing I want to point out is that you make a really good point about Klopp not being prepared for Gomez to be first choice center back in the in the autumn I think the plan was clearly like look we know Gomez is a really talented player who's going to be a really good in the future. But for now, we want to stick with Lovren and Matip because we trust them. They're tried, they've tried and tested there. We've got a good defense system working here because let's be fair. Yeah, we kind of did stumble upon those two being brilliant. But Lovren and Matip paired with Van Dijk had been doing a, a pretty good job for the back two thirds of last season, right? Like Since the Spurs game, our defense was already close to being the best in the league, if not the best in the league already. So I think, I think, and I think... As a result of that, Klopp did think, you know, I don't need a right back. I'm just going to rotate Trent and Gomez. Fine. That's easy. That's that's a solution to that problem. And I don't think he, he thought he needed one. And then obviously, centre-back crisis happened. Uh, Gomez got thrust into centre-back, worked really well. Neither Lovren nor Matip were 100% fit for a few months. And then Klopp obviously thought, well, I need to rest Trent. Gomez doesn't need as much rest as Trent. Trent clearly needs some time off. I'm just going to throw Gomez in there. I think the Camacho situation is completely different. You can't compare them in terms of age. It's about experience. And, you know, look at Trent. Trent's a great example of this. Klopp used Trent in little bits and little pieces until he was forced by Klein's injury to throw him into the deep end a little bit. And even then he rotated him loads with Gomez because he had to. Klopp has repeatedly talked about young players and not wanting to throw them into situations too early. He's ta- he done this again and again with players like Trent, players like Woodburn. He said to them, I like these players a lot. These are going to be really, really quality players, but you cannot throw them into the deep end because it doesn't work and it just hurts their development. And that's something that he's been consistent with. So I'm, I'm not surprised at all that he's not thrown Camacho in there, especially since Camacho isn't a right back. He had a decent preseason at right back, but he's not a right back. Um, and clearly he's not showing enough to demonstrate that he's better right back than James Milner, who's been, to be fair to him, pretty good in that position anyway. Um, I also think it's, I also think you've got no. I don't think you have any basis for saying Gomez was injured because he was a right back. I'm sorry, I, I'm not buying it. Um, <laughs> like, I'm not. I'm sorry, but I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to be funny, but I, I Brundish, do. you said you're not a sports scientist. Brundish is, and said to you, like that's not the that's not a thing. It's two things, right? It's for, that's you know that's fine. That's just my opinion. That at his size, you can't expect somebody to do that repeatedly but you know that's fine whatever whatever simon says is, is 
much you should take that with much more weight than than what I say for sure. But he's also said that Gomez was in the red at that point in terms of the amount of minutes he was playing versus seasons past and stuff like that, where he's also he's also been injured. So uh you know, so that, so it's twofold, right? So so you're also you're also not giving the kid a break. Like you could have given the kid just a straight week off at Burnley instead of instead of playing him right back as well. But I also think you you need to balance it because you know w- without getting too much into into this argument because we've got so much to cover as per any Adam article is always filled with with goodness you could just talk about it for hours. Um, but would you not say that you know in hindsight okay yes we we know how the Burnley game goes we know and we can say Gomez was injured in that game but actually if if he hadn't been injured in that game. Would it have been right to throw someone like Camacho in there? Absolutely not. Klopp has come out and said himself, you know, Camacho looks a good player. He, he, I thought he did all right against Wolves when he did play right back. A little bit exposed because he's actually more of a forward-thinking player. But to throw him into a Premier League game on his debut against a side like Burnley, who are quite aggressive, quite combative, I don't think that would have been fair to him. And it's one of those situations where it's do or die for a young player. You either sink or you swim. And so... You know, I, I can only say this in hindsight. At the time, it, you know, it could have worked out fine. But I also sure. think there's, and, there's and different I'm just, aspects that, you that's need to my, look at. And that's my opinion that, that Camacho would have been a good person to use there. It's, 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 it's how well Camacho did in the preseason, but it's also the opponent where, yeah, Tom's right. He's not a, he's not, uh, he's not a two-way fullback, but he's, he's a wingback. And, you know, if a team's going to sit in against you, then you kind of need to win him back in that position. Anyways, it's basically the same proposition that I forget if Milner was available at that point or not, but then you've also got, uh, Milner played in midfield in that game because we were right. rotating on midfield also, as well. And you've also, and you also have Fabinho. And I mean, there's, there was clearly, you clearly didn't have to play Gomez there. <laughs> I guess True, that's the point. But as, as Thomas again, just alluded to here before we move on to, to another point, there was rotation in that game, James Milner being one example. And so, therefore, if there's rotation, you don't want Klopp to have so much rotation that there's no players left and that momentum is stalled. Because I think, you know, as we've alluded to, Joe Gomez has become, anyway, become a, a very important sure. player. He was in a good period of form. Trent needed some time because I, I don't know whether the energy wasn't there. His form was dipping. And, and Klein really, I know... And I originally said when he did go out on loan, you know, what it doesn't make sense. But really, I don't think he's ever really been in Klopp's plans. I think that's that's a player who always looked like he was going to leave. Uh, whether that's because he wasn't really putting enough competition, enough um, momentum and energy and effort into the training sessions, who knows? But in that type of game, if Klopp is making a, a couple of changes, do you really want him mixing with the back four too much? When it's a player who, okay, he, you know, he was playing a lot of game time, but he's therefore important. He's therefore built up sure. momentum and a and a relationship with the rest of his back four and his goalkeeper. Um, so, you know, I would probably side with Tom on this one, and I definitely side with Tom on. I I think it's an interesting point that you've pointed out. He always gets injured when he plays it right back. Do I think that's anything more than an interesting point? No. Um, but as you said, you know, that's just your opinion. So we'll move on to a slightly different aspect of the article, but linked. Um, I want to touch on really how big a miss Joe Gomez has been because I'm a massive fan of Joe Gomez. Tom knows this. I've talked about him to death. 
over the years and I'm a, a big believer in the the idea that he's sort of a player for the future as well as a player for the present for Liverpool in terms of that defensive picture. All the you know the transfers that we're doing, all the development we're doing as a team, I think Joe Gomez is really at the heart of it. And so for me to see him out for such a prolonged period of time has been a struggle because he became such an important part with Van Dijk. It, you know, he wasn't being carried by Van Dijk. He wasn't being carried by Robertson or by Allison in terms of the communication, in terms of the authority. He was putting in a shift and he was doing very, very well. Um, and, and so to kind of lose that relationship with the centre-backs has been difficult for Liverpool. And it's, it's no surprise that it's kind of coincided with this slight blip in momentum. Um, so, Tom, I'll actually come to you first because you might say something that, you know, sparks Adam into, into life again. What, what have you thought of Joe Gomez? Because I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, I know in the past couple of years you've not necessarily been as positive about him as I have. We'll come on to consistency with injuries in a minute. Um, but how big a miss has he been for you for this Liverpool team? I think it's a tough one to quantify. I certainly would agree with you to the extent um, I haven't previously been as hot on Gomez as others have. Um, this season, in my opinion, at least he's made a big difference in turning that around. And that's, you know, down to his form at centre-back, which was something I always had question marks over. For me, those question marks are gone. Um, there are no question marks for him that he is a top quality centre-back and has the potential to be one. Um, that said, I'm not sure that we've necessarily missed him as much as some people are making out. I think the bigger miss has been trying at right back, if I'm being completely honest, because if you look at the back four of Robertson, Lovren, Van Dijk and Trent, that's got a really good track record. In We played seven league games with basically that back four. Um, I think Milner filled in once or twice as well, but we recorded six wins in the in six wins out of those seven games, and then we only conceded three goals. Sorry, four goals. Um, four goals, and you know, three of those were against Man City and Arsenal. So, it's not. Ne- it hasn't been the case necessarily that it's just Gomez injury that has caused us issues because there was a solid period. I mean, to be honest with you, we were, we hit we were hitting some of our best form in the season even without Gomez in that defence. Um, and you know, as I said, there's plenty of evidence over the last 12 months that this Liverpool side still have a lot of talented defenders. Uh, Robertson's incredibly important to this defence. We've still got Allison behind them. Van Dijk remains, you know, the absolute linchpin. And even in the last sort of handful of games where I think we have struggled a little bit more defensively, we've only conceded more than one goal twice this season still um, against obviously Man City, who I think, you know, when you're talking about a team like Man City, even if Lovren didn't play particularly well, you've kind of got to put an asterisk on that one. And then obviously the Palace game, which is obviously the big one that I'm looking at. But even then, I think Matip didn't play particularly poorly. And actually, if you look at the expected goals for that game, again, it's, it's like it's a bit of an aberration that we conceded three. So I certainly think there's... Look, the defence is unquestionably worse without Joe Gomez in it. That, for me, is just... You know, that that's not a question. It, it is a, a fact. But whether or... But I think that's not a fatal blow to this defence, to be completely honest with you, because I think we, when Trent's back at right back, which he hopefully will be for Bournemouth, and certainly beyond that, with either Lovren or Matip next to Van Dijk, there's enough quality in that defence, especially when you're talking about Fabinho ahead of them and Genie alongside him, to to sort of cushion the blow and that's not to take anything away from Joe Gomez but I don't think he's one of the top sort of four or five most important players in this team and I think that's a fair comment to make really not because of anything to do with him just because I think we 
four or five world-class players who are integral in their positions. And again, I, again, none of this is take anything away from Joe Gomez, who's been spectacularly good this season. And if and when he gets fit again, hopefully he'll be able to regain some form and he should be back in the start of our back line probably next season, if not the end of this one. But how important is he to this defence? I think it's a slightly different question. And I think this defence has shown in the last two months, admittedly with a couple of blips very recently, that he um, he can be sort of a loss that can be shouldered. Yeah, I would say, you know, and I think something that gets lost actually with Liverpool supporters is that we have four, really five, I guess, like supremely talented in terms of their skill set center backs, you know, and they can all do things that, you know, there, there are supremely expensive center backs on teams like United that can't do anything that these guys can do just on a normal basis in terms of just dribbling through, <laughs> dribbling through the pitch, you know, with ease. Um, and just the, the way that their, their aerial ability, their speed, I mean, they all have incredible uh, skill sets, you know, but the, the issue, I guess, you know, and you're right, Tom, it is like fine, it's fine margins. And then I guess that's where we're trying to live as Liverpool as, as like, in this stratosphere of the best teams in the world where fine margins will make a difference. But yeah, I mean, you know, Matip is a little bit, uh, he sort of works at like the same speed as, as Van Dyke, right? He's very laid back. And then Lavrin is super proactive to the point where he gets out of position quite a bit. And then Gomez is sort of like the happy medium between those two. And that's, that seems to be what works really well. You know, something that's happened over the past like 24 hours is, uh, we've seen Joyce and Pierce come out with, uh, statements about that seems to be alluding to, to Liverpool are going to or should, should bring in a center back as sort of their top priority in the summer. Um, and again, that's just like sort of just, throws gasoline on the fire for me to this whole situation because that was part of my argument in this article is that, you know, I've heard people say the counter argument from some people is, well, you don't want to shake up the team. You don't want to, you don't want to make like a massive investment in January just for, you know, to try to rescue one season. What happens if that player gets injured X, Y, Z. Um, but my thing was if we're targeting a defensive player, anyways whether it be a fullback or a center back and i guarantee you that we're you know i was saying this in january for sure we're gonna sign somebody in the summer who's either a fullback or or a center back and you know you've got moreno going out the door as well um and there's just the idea that we couldn't move one of those deals up four or five months is crazy to me to uh, just given the the circumstances that we were in the only thing that sort of settled me down from that point is it's possible um, that one of the players that we're looking at is uh, either is on one of the relegation sides because some of the players that would make sense for us to bring in would be like Lascelles from Newcastle or uh, uh, Juan Bissaka possibly or Sessegnon or players like that. And all those guys are needed for the stretch run um, on their team. So it's possible. That's the only thing that I can think of. 
But again, like I mean, at this point in the article, it would just it would would have made me feel better. Maybe this is just like an Americanism because you usually see American GMs do this at the end of trade deadlines or um, at the start of season or at the end of a season. They'll come out and sort of give you like a, a state of the team, state of the club uh, summary, right? And Edwards doesn't do that. <laughs> That's fine, I guess. But I mean, you just it would be better. If that would happen, where where if, when big decisions are made like that to either make a move or to not make a move, uh, he would just sort of give you the lay of the land in terms of this is why X Y Z happened, even if he's lying, and uh, you know I just think that that would be better for the fan base and for the for the club in general than to to, to have this press release come out right after the trade deadline, right after the transfer deadline, and and say Gomez is out for another six weeks. I think, um, yeah, we'll we'll move on to the PR uh, point in a second because there's a couple of um, other issues I wanted to raise just before we get into that, Adam. Um, but just a, a stat that I've just seen on Twitter, actually. It's really interesting because Josh Williams, who has actually started at the Echo now, he's doing a brilliant job. If if anyone hasn't um, you know, seen his pieces, definitely check it out. He's looking at the uh, tactical side of things. And he did a piece on Joe Gomez. And he tweeted the other day that Liverpool have played 11 Premier League games without Joe Gomez playing a single minute and um, 11 games with Joe Gomez playing the full 90. And the XG conceded without Joe Gomez is 8.21. The XG conceded with Gomez is actually 9.99. But the really interesting side of things is when you actually look at the goals conceded, they're significantly higher without Joe Gomez on the pitch. So with Joe Gomez, 12 games, uh, well, yeah, this is 12 games actually, it's a different source, four goals conceded, and without 11 goals conceded. So, you know, I think when we're talking in terms of importance, as we've kind of all said, there is a a real development of a relationship with Virgil van Dijk this season and the back four as a whole across as a unit. And in any club, no matter what the circumstances, when you get an injury like that, it's always going to disrupt the rhythm and the cohesion of the side. And I think that's just something that, that Liverpool have gone through at the moment. And Tom, you're quite right when you point out, you know, uh, Joel Matip and, and Dejan Lovren have done jobs for Liverpool there. But I think it's Again, we've touched on in the past, they're two players who maybe not the most consistent in terms of performances, Dejan Lovren especially. Um, and therefore, someone like Joe Gomez, he's, he's still quite young. He's got developing to do, but he's shown so much promise that he's just a player who Liverpool seems to have really become dependent on this season. Um, it's... But what I... I just wanted to move to a discussion on Nathaniel Klein because this is an aspect of... Um, you know the the transfer window that a lot of people have talked about as I mentioned earlier myself included in that um, I think it's a really interesting one because a lot of people ha- have had a lot of differing opinions on Nathaniel Klein and you know whether Liverpool should have let him go to Bournemouth and the repercussions of that with the Joe Gomez injury with Trent potentially not hitting form and then getting injured himself um, and so I just wanted to to gauge where you two sit on that because I would be of the opinion now anyway. I know before I mentioned that I, I thought it was a bit strange to have an experienced right back go out on loan at such a pivotal point in the season, given Liverpool's league position as well. But I think that the thing with Jurgen Klopp and his teams is he likes a small squad and he likes to know that those, those players push each other. And so if a player 
maybe isn't being as competitive as he in training. That could be an aspect. Maybe Nathaniel Klein was working really hard because he did go into the I just think that kind of signals that there was never going to be an opening for Nathaniel. The one negative, obviously, is is that Nathaniel Klein had such a positive performance against Manchester United. Um, so I just wanted to, to get your opinion, Adam. What you thought of, of the Nathaniel Klein situation? Would he have made a difference? Or was it a case of, OK, it's, it's annoying to lose an experienced player, but was he really ever going to play? that many games because we've seen people like James Milner fill in yeah I mean I guess again it's just sort of a mystery right where like uh something obviously was going on in the background there where he he couldn't get time he couldn't he couldn't get on the pitch so uh the only time he played is when you had like you know three uh absences lined up together so you know it's tough because Trent's injury comes Right after uh, we sent him out, or at least at least that was when we were told of Trent's injury was was right after, uh, or how serious it was was right after Klein uh, was was sent out on loan. So, you know, I, I just I think that it had to be the the length that the Klein situation went on is really the the worst thing in my eyes. The the fact of that when it happens, you just wish that whenever it happened that a replacement would come in or there'd be some sort of something done there. I don't know. I, I mean, I guess, I guess Klein or I guess uh, Klopp just has like a different opinion than some of the supporters or myself included has in terms of what kind of cover Milner gives you there on the right side. Um, I mean, I get to me against, against West Ham uh, Anderson had all day to run wherever he wanted to, so that didn't particularly cost us. And uh, you know, I was telling Tom right before we started the pod, it's it's interesting because some of the some of the situations that are getting Liverpool uh, supporters really riled up recently are not really the situations that are costing us. We're just conceding off of like weird set piece situations and. Uh, <laughs> and also Van Dyke, who nobody's ever going to criticize, as as a couple steps slow with whatever this virus is as well. And, and, and so that's been an issue as well, but um, yeah, so I'm, I, I can't go crazy about the, what about sending him out on loan in particular. If, if it came to that, then it came to that. And maybe, maybe he was making noise in the background that he had to get time, playing time and Klopp wasn't willing to give it to him and a, a decision had to be made. It's more just the length of time that it took to make that decision and then not replacing him is, is my relationship. Yeah, I think there's a, I think there's a lot going on with the client situation. Um, I think the first thing to note is that we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Like, we don't know whether he said in the summer he wanted to stay, wanted to fight for a spot. Klopp said to him, you know, you're my fourth choice, that's the way it is. And he said, no, no, I want to keep trying. Um, and we don't know whether or not he changed his mind in January. We don't know whether or not the, Klopp, the club were trying to find someone in the summer but couldn't find a anyone who was willing to meet their buying their selling price you know there's so much going on for what it's worth i don't i'm not really fussed at all i know a lot of people are really bothered about this but it just doesn't bother me in the slightest um i think you know klein's fine i think he's a decent right back i think he's a good player but i think you know he was never he's never going to start ahead of alexander arnold and he's never going to start ahead of gomez so automatically that relegates the amount of game time he's eating up and look he's behind he's behind milner in the packing order and whether that's tactical, whether that's attitude, whether that's a number of reasons, I can 
as I said, Milner's done a really decent job at right back in the games he's been played there. And Klein has played one game at right back this season. He would have played a second game at right back against um, Leicester instead of Henderson there. But he wouldn't have started against um, Brighton. He wouldn't have started against Palace. He wouldn't have started this game against West Ham because Klopp would have picked Milner or Klopp would have picked a half-fit Trent. And, you know, that's the way it is. Klein's, Klein's career is at, at Liverpool has been over for a while now. Um, I kind of take Adam's point about how it's a bit of a halfway house. Why don't we just get rid of him at the time? But I don't think it's that straightforward. Um, you know, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes there. We don't know what Klein wants. We don't know what Klopp wants. We don't know what other teams want because it's not, you know, there are players like, to use an extreme example, Lazar Markovic. Liverpool have been trying to get rid of him for like three years. It's not that easy to get rid of players if no one wants to buy them, especially if the club is saying, well, this is the price. This is, we're not sure. selling for less than that. So or we just don't want to go. Yeah, I mean, it could be, it yeah, could exactly. be things. I mean, it's just, and, and then also the thing that compounds the client situation is that you've got other players from the Rogers era that are in a similar situation, whether it's Markovic at one extreme or I guess like Lolana is at the other extreme where, you know, the manager wants to play him. He's just not up to the level that he was a couple of years ago. So yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, but yeah, you just sort of have this like pile up of players who, uh, on paper are depth, but they're not really depth. And, um, you know, you just wish that those guys could be moved on, even though it's not as easy as just saying that, but you, you wish that they could have been replaced with, you know, <laughs> even if you replace half of them with, uh, with players that are actually capable of contributing, that would be great. Yeah, it's not that simple. And as I say, you don't, you don't know how Klopp feels about players either, because he'll never tell you the truth about how he feels about a player. Pete, you know, of course he's going to come out and say Adam Lallana's like a new signing. Of course he's going to come out and say Adam Lallana's an important player. Or he's supposed to say, well, Lallana's shit, but I have to, but he's in the squad and we're paying him money, so I've got to play him here and there. <laughs> like, you, you know what I mean? He's not going to say stuff like that, is he? He's not going to come out and say Lallana's shit or Klein's shit. I don't want these players. <laughs> he's got, you know, he's got to work with them. I think um, you, I think you're both spot on in terms of you know th- there's obviously something potentially in the background with with Klein or whether he just wanted a move in, in Klopp manager to stop a player wanting a move if they want to go he'll let them go. Um, but as as I've said countless times, there's so many aspects of this article, and, and the next really interesting one is the PR situation. Um, there's been a lot of frustration, obviously, as there always always is and, and should be when a player gets injured and is out for a sustained period of time and you've got a January window to kind of bring someone in and you don't fill that void and, and Liverpool straight after the window closes obviously we you know we get that 1-1 draw with West Ham we also drew to Leicester so there's a bit of a blip going on in the midst of all this as well um, so that yeah there is frustration but I would potentially argue and I'm not saying this is my views on it but maybe this is Klopp's thinking that Klopp likes to be patient with his signings he doesn't like to rush into buying players we saw that with Van Dijk and with Naby Keita that he kind of waited for the right time he he identified a player he really wanted and he waited until January to get Van Dijk in until the summer to get Keita in with a with a pre-determined move already on the cards and so maybe I don't think he's necessarily the the biggest fan of the January window because especially from a defensive point of view which I think is is important a player coming in in January doesn't allow them to have a full pre-season it doesn't allow them the time to get up to speed if you know what I mean to you know to adapt to the new system to adapt to their surroundings and their teammates to to really get to grips with not just the pressing aspect of things but the way that the goalkeeper likes to play the way the teammates like to play the way the people around you operate 
And I think, therefore, especially in terms of a centre-back, it's very hard for someone to come in in the middle of a season and, and really slot in and do a job. That's not to say if Liverpool had have signed uh, you know, a terrific centre-back, they couldn't have done something for us. But is that potentially Klopp's thinking, Adam? Again, I'm, I'm going to come back to this is not my view, but I'm just trying to trying to see it from <laughs> Klopp's aspect. You know, listen, we're never we're never honest about the injuries, whether they're ours or whether they're attacking midfielders from Lyon. Uh, but this one, announcing or leaking the Gomez injury right at the close of the window, looking back on it, you know, I'll tell you the truth, I'm not really sure. This could have just been like Liverpool bad luck. But um, it just appears to be cover for the club not doing business in January. And, and again, this is a, would have been a great reason for the club to have a sort of post-window uh, press conference and and just give the lay of the land or what this and clear the air on what the situation is because they must know how it appears as well. Um, so, yeah, it it you, again, as Tom says, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but uh, it does it doesn't look good, <laughs> and because it doesn't look good, you know, I don't know if that's I don't know if it's the club. PR team, the club's PR team, like trying to make it look good and then sort of backfired on them, or if they're just not taking any action at all and this is just what happened and they didn't feel like the, they didn't feel the need to address it and just let people speculate about it as, at will. So, um, you know, it's one of those things that'll probably come out <laughs> in, a, in a few years and we'll, <laughs> we'll hopefully have a good laugh about it because Liverpool will be league champions or something. But, um, <laughs> You know, it's just this this whole scenario is, uh, you know, I think this is going to be the defining thing of the season. I, I, I hear you that, you know, maybe Trent's, in the short term, Trent's absence, you know, given the width that he provides, I agree with you, Tom, that's probably in the short term a bigger deal. Um, but I think in the long run, uh, when you're trying to beat a team like, a team like City to the finish line, this is not great, <laughs> and, uh, and we might we might make it through it as we made it. So you know we've stayed ahead of City the past few weeks, but um, it's certainly going to be closer than you'd like it to be. And um, you know I just wish it could have could have been avoided one way or the other. I think it's it's also interesting because I I agree that you know the the timing of things don't look good, and, and you put it really well in the article. Actually, you said everything is fine, everything's going to plan. Oh, the transfer window shut. Now we're going to tell you the the real story, and I, I think that's quite a a funny and, and pretty poignant way to put it in in blunt terms. But I also think it's interesting because in your article you you kind of mentioned that Liverpool effectively told people that Joe Gomez was out for a certain period of time or expected to be out for a certain period of time. And then it came about that he actually needed surgery and now he's out for, I think it's six weeks. But again, I'm playing devil's advocate here, trying to, to see it from the club's point of view. You've also got to remember there's there's preliminary checks, then there's scans. You've got to wait to find out how serious those scans are. Then you, you usually get you know two or three options and and then you might find out actually, you know what, it's better in the long term to go for the surgery. And so you, you could have thought initially, right, he doesn't need the surgery, but then actually to go for it in the long term, that's something that's going to benefit the right. player and benefit the club. So from their point of view, it, I guess it's hard because they know they need to say something and right. they know that if they backtrack later, they're going to get fan frustration. They're going to get people saying, you know, we're in the middle of a title race. We've got a great chance at the Premier League trophy. Why would you 
announced this the you know the day after the the a week yeah. after the window shuts it's it's frustrating and that's that's bound to happen but surely... again again I, I think i think having a few days now to sort of sit on this I, I think it is more than likely that it actually happened the way that they said it it's just that you know sort of the standard procedure that we've been accustomed to over the past few years is that uh Liverpool will announce like a five-year extension for some academy player, and then like within 24 hours, we'll get news of <laughs> some devastating injury or somebody's being transferred out or whatever. Um, so, uh, you know, so I guess I'm conditioned to be suspicious about these things, <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It, again, it could just be unfortunate, ridiculously bad timing that this that they found out about this right as the transfer window ended. I'm willing to accept that. But again, they just I wish that if that's even the case, you just wish that they would have done a better job of, of handling that. You know, I think like a standard thing from uh like an NBA team or an NFL team would be for the GM to come out and say like, hey listen, you know, we've got deals lined up for the summer for players that I can't mention who it is. And, you know, Obviously, we've got some injury problems here, and we looked at moving up the deals for X, Y, Z, but it just wasn't feasible or uh, financially responsible f- for the club to do in the long term, and that would have been the end of it, you know. But and they just—I <laughs> don't know if that's like not as customary. I, you know, I don't watch like other teams' uh, sporting directors too often to know like whether other teams, uh, whether it's standard procedure for other clubs in the Premier League, but. Um, you know, for me, that would have been the more professional way to handle it, I guess. I think there's a lot going on here. I think the first thing to note is that w- with regards to transfers, that's just never going to happen. Like, the way football journalism is, the way football as a sport is, that sort of thing just can't be done, if we're being completely honest. Because you get you get so many situations where a manager announces they don't have any interest in a player, and 24 hours later, that player's signed. It's just the way things are done. It, it It's just, it's not going to be that way in football. Um so I think the other thing is, with the injury situation, I think it's a frustrating situation from the club. Like, because on the one hand, you've kind of got to say something, right? I think I think Brunich is kind of right on this one. It'd be great if the club could just say, Gomez is injured. We're not going to tell you when he's back. He'll be back when he's back. There's nothing you can do about it. Like, that would be great if that was just the case all the time. Players, You'll find out when players are back in the squad when they're back in the squad. Um, but that's not the way it is. They've got to say something, right? And originally, they, they can't say... Well, right now we're looking at six weeks, but there could be complications because it's an injury. Um, and if there are complications, it could be three months, it could be four months. We don't really know if being completely honest, because you never know with these sorts of things. There clearly were a couple of setbacks. There clearly were a couple of situations where it didn't heal the way they were hoping it would. I mean, the the obvious thing here is, right, if, the, if it was going to need surgery straight away, they would have given him surgery straight away. They weren't hiding surgery for six weeks. I don't think that's the case. Right. There must have been a setback somewhere. The exact timing of it, it might not have. It was probably like two or three days beforehand. But even then, like to re, you know, you realise even a week before the transfer window ends that your centre back is not going to be back in two weeks' time. He's going to be back in two months' time. You're not going to be suddenly going, oh, I've got a week. We need to we need to find a centre back. This club has never operated that way sensibly for in, in Klopp's tenure. That's not the way they've operated. They're not going to panic by a. 60 70 million pounds center back especially sure and it's not that and it's not that simple just to move a deal up like it's not that simple um they might they probably at this stage in the season they probably identify targets they're probably having preliminary chats but they can't you know they're not they're probably not at the stage where they can go 
oh shit, here's 60 million, we're buying him now. Because the other thing is, if you're trying to buy with a week to go in the window, that you've got a desperation tag all over you, and that is bumping that price up, even if the January window itself doesn't bump the price up 20 million right off the bat. And again, that's just not the way the club's operated. Edwards is not the sort of bloke who's going to be like, well, this could cost us an extra 20 million, but it might gain us three points. There's you know, and, right. and that's not necessary. And that's not, I don't and, think that's necessarily the wrong call either, because I know you. Yeah. you I know in your mind, and a, lot, be... and a lot of the players that we've been linked with, to be fair, for those positions are either in relegation battles or they're trying to get their team out of the championship, or you know. So I, I could see where of... I could see where it could have been tough. I think, as I say, with the PR, it's very tough because what you you know when you you know originally what you spoke what you supposed to say when the original injury you've got to give the original timeline which for them was was almost certainly was the six weeks that they said it was at the time because if they knew he needed surgery they wouldn't have waited six weeks for it i assume i don't know enough about the sort of leg injury that he's had but some a couple of people put some decent stuff in the discord about how this is what it could be this is how the setback could have worked this is how they'd probably be working to repair it um that kind of thing which would suggest that what they've suggested is probably about right as I say, it's entirely plausible that they didn't, you know, I, I agree with you, they probably didn't realise he, he needed surgery, like, you know, the minute after the window shut, that's probably a coincidence, it was probably a couple of days in advance, but they decided to wait until the surgery was happening to announce the surgery, and as I say, it's tough, because on the one hand, you don't want them to reveal anything, really, at, from a from the club standpoint, you don't want to be revealing anything really about injuries as much as you can get away with. But equally, you can't give away everything because fans don't want to hear, you know, fans don't want to hear there's been a setback. Fans don't want to hear, well, this player we thought could be out for six weeks is actually out for two months. He's actually out for three months. It's the way it is. Um, I'd rather they just shut up about it all and just said he's back, but they can't really do that. So it is a tough situation to be in. I think the PR on injuries has never been great. I, and I mean, as Brundish said, Klopp lies about injuries all the time. All the time he lies about injuries. Just because he has to. It's part of, it's part yeah, of his job. Because, were, because that's the other thing. The media were, This is one of the things that Klopp doesn't like about the media. They'll ask the same questions every week. Like Every four days, it's, how's ex-player getting along in his development? Well, I told you four days ago how he was doing. Yeah, well, how, yeah but how's he doing now? And he's unlucky enough to have, like, you know, Henderson had, like, a bruise and then he was out for, like, six months or something. And Lallana's had similar situations. Um, yeah, so he's not lucky as far as that goes either. And as fan, and as thing is, as fans, we want the most up-to-date information we can get and we want to know everything. And that's fair. Like, you know, how many days this week have there been people in the Discord going, okay, what's the news on Trent? Is Trent back? Because we want to know. You know, we want to know. Is our is our starting right back going to be fit for Bournemouth? That's a big thing for us. But in Klopp's mind, it's just like you know, he's got to say what he's got to say. But equally, he doesn't want daily updates on how our, on whether or not Trent's going to be fit because the truth is they probably don't know. They probably can't be one hundred percent certain until it happens because injuries don't work that way. Do you know what I mean? You know, as much as we want injuries to be a a set, okay, this is when the player gets yeah. injured. This is when. Yeah, and again, it, it just becomes. It becomes just such a crazy contrast as well when we're in a situation where we're um, playing Jordan Henderson at right back and then City are bringing Gabriel Jesus off the bench and, and De Bruyne and all those guys. So it's um, it's quite a stark contrast at the moment, and especially given that coming into the season back in August – you know, we were looking at the at the squad list and saying like, "Wow, this is this team stacked. We'll be able to go for all four competitions." And it just hasn't ended up that way. I mean, we'll be, we'll be lucky if we can chase one at this at this stage. So it's uh, 
you know, it's not it's not ideal in in the middle of a season which is ideal. This particular situation is not great. I think we'll um we'll move on to the last aspect, which is kind of a uh, uh, back to back to what we were discussing and actually kind of relevant to what you two were just talking about then. Um, Joe Gomez is he reliable? Is he can he be relied on enough? I I guess this is the fourth straight season he's had an injury. And um, a lot of the time, those injuries tend to be quite long-lasting as well, which is a kind of a separate issue in itself. But it means that it's it really halts his momentum. It helps halts his development because, as we see with you know with with any player, when you've got such a long period of time that you're out, it's not just oh he's back in March, which we've been told for Joe Gomez, and then he's going to come straight back onto the pitch and be the player he was. He needs that rehabilitation time. He needs time to get back up to speed in terms of his fitness as well. And mentally, which we've talked about a lot with people like Hamza on this show in terms of the psychological aspect of injuries. So, Adam, do you think he is a player who, for all the talent we've discussed and how well he's done this season, is he reliable enough for Liverpool to be someone who, as I said earlier, they should be looking to really use as their future defensive player? Yeah, it's an interesting one, right? I mean... um... You know, credit to the player for him having an injury over the summer and then to be able to make the leap that he did um, from playing right back last year and whenever whenever we were under uh, heavy attack from other from opposition teams, um, sometimes he would make mistakes. Trent, both Trent and him were sort of going back and forth making a lot of similar mistakes last year, whether it was um, playing uh, opposition players on sides or... Uh, balls going over their heads or whatever, and then for him to make the kind of leap that he did playing at center back and just being outstanding uh, this year was really incredible. Given that he was also recovering from an injury at the time, um, you know, he made sort of a one of those Coutinho off-season leaps, and he was recovering from a serious injury at the same time. It's pretty amazing. Um, can he do that again? Uh, <laughs> we'll just have to see again. Like my my particular opinion is that he is more susceptible to injury given the demands at right back. Uh, if if Simon Brun just does, thinks that that is outright wrong, I that's fine. Uh, you know, that's I, I, again he he's the expert and I'm not. It just strikes me as uh, quite risky to have somebody that big moving that fast repeatedly, but. Anyways, so if you're in the corner of where you think um, that that doesn't make a difference, then I think then maybe you're in Pierce and, and Joyce's corner of where uh, center back really has to be a uh, top priority in the summer. Um, I, I would like to I would like us to bring in either a center back or somebody who can play um, both fullback and center back like what if we got uh you know we can talk about the ideal signings but what if it's like uh, Montreal on a free or something like that you know a deal like that would make sense to me because then you've got room for Gomez to uh, come back in advance and uh, you've got room for Hover to take over in the rotation in a couple of years as well so uh yeah, I mean, I, I believe that you can depend on him at center back. Um, we don't have a huge sample size of that. We have 
like you said, about a dozen games where he made it through those fine. And we also, the flip side of that is he gets injured and seriously injured all the time right back over the course of three, four seasons. So, um, yeah. So I guess if, if you think that it doesn't matter the type of runs that he's doing, um, then no, we can't, we can't depend on him. But I, I still, I think that that does matter. Just my own personal opinion. I don't think we can rely on him. I think it's a shame. I really do, but we can't rely on him. He's not a player. A player with his injury history um, just isn't a player you can build a team around. You just can't do it because you, you can't trust for a second that he's not going to miss at least 10 games a season because he's missed 10 games a season every season in his Liverpool career now. Um, and as as all the sports scientists will tell you, the biggest predictor of injury is past injury. It doesn't matter how unlucky you are. It doesn't matter what caused it. The fact is, if you have the kind of injuries that Gomez has, the simple truth is you're going to pick up more injuries. That's just the way it is. It's you know, it's it's why stuff happens to players like Sturridge and Lana and Henderson because they picked up serious injuries that have affected their ability to recover from injuries and have meant that they're more susceptible to future injuries. It's like in tennis, you see someone like Andy Murray, and you know he. Uh, in, I mean, tennis is an entirely different sport, an entirely different set of circumstances. But you see players in tennis, and once they get like a serious injury, they they find that those injuries keep recurring, and they, they, it's hard for them to shrug it off. And I mean, Gomez is a young player; he's a good kid, and obviously he's still developing his body. So maybe he's got an ability to recover that would be stronger than others. But I don't think you can take that chance. You know, how many times? If we talked about Lovren and Matip, how many times we said you can't build a squad around Lovren and Matip because they, they're too injury prone. At least one of them's going to be injured all the time. The same, the sad thing is it's going to be the same thing with Gomez. You can't have a squad where you've got, where three of your four centre backs can't be relied upon to play 30 games a season. If you don't have at least two centre backs playing 30 games a season, you're in deep trouble. So for me, we just have to bite the bullet. We have to go out there and say, we need a, we need a world class centre back. We need someone to partner Van Dyke. We need someone we can trust to partner Van Dyke. And what that means for Gomez, I mean, I've look, I've said before on multiple shows, I think if we buy a centre back, there is still a huge future for Gomez at this club because we can play, th- play three at the back, we can rotate our centre backs, you know, we can play we can play th- uh, two centre backs three times. It means we can rest Van Dyke, which is something we just can't do at the moment. Um, you know, we can play Gomez right back and left back and not have to panic because we've got a quality backup for left-back and right-back if we buy a world-class centre-back. You look at clubs like Spurs, look at clubs like City, they're able to rotate centre-backs. City have got, you know, Stones, Company, Laporte, and sometimes they'll play Stones defensive midfield, sometimes they'll play Laporte a left-back, sometimes they'll just not play Company. We know their two best centre-backs starting are probably Laporte and Stones, but there's ways of getting, there's ways of resting them, and there's ways of getting them to play full-back, and City have got that worked out. And that's just by having a number of centre-backs. It's a similar job with Spurs. They've got the two best centre-backs in the league. They went out and bought another one who's really good and really young. And they're able to switch between two at the back, three at the back. I, 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 for me, it's a no-brainer. You go out, you buy a world-class centre-back. It's that straightforward. That solves the issue. And you, Because we just can't trust Gomez. And that's a real shame because I think he's really talented. But he doesn't have the injury history to suggest that he's going to be able to sustain a career and if, if we don't buy a centre-back exactly the same thing's going to happen next year Gomez is going to pick up a long-term injury or Matip's going to pick up a long-term injury there's going to be niggles here and there and we're going to be in a situation where we're looking at this going why have we only got one fit centre-back and that's Van Dyke because that's that's just the way it is I I agree with you I think 
Liverpool do need to sign another centre-back. And I think, you know, as you touched on there, OK, we might not have the excessive riches of someone like Manchester City, but if Jurgen Klopp is serious about developing this squad, which he's done to such a brilliant extent already, and improve the defence to such a good extent, then Liverpool just need to go that one step further. James Pearce on the Redman TV, I think it was earlier today, actually said, you know, he, I think it was his personal opinion, Adam, you touched on it earlier, but it was actually his personal opinion rather than Liverpool are actively going out You're to right. look for it. Um, he, he even pointed out and he said Liverpool should look at a centre-back. And I, I completely agree. I think any Liverpool fan would be in that kind of frame. They would say maybe we're one short or two short in terms of that defence because we've got depth in other areas but not defensively and God forbid something happens to Robertson. That's a whole separate issue. Um, and, and, you know, we've seen a struggle with Trent this season as well. So I would fall under that category as well. The only thing I would say in terms of Joe Gomez is I don't necessarily think it has to be one or the other. I think Liverpool would be silly not to go and get a world-class centre-back and naturally if you do that, they're going to need to start and want to start alongside Van Dijk and, and that's fine. But someone like Joe Gomez is still able to get good game time within that. I think it, he's a player who, as I touched on earlier, he's at the moment he's in the present and he's in the future and I don't think bringing in a world-class forward is necessarily going to mean that Joe Gomez can't be Liverpool's future. Um, I think he's been unlucky with injuries. I think, you know, this season especially, it came at a very, very difficult time for him because he was doing so well. And while I understand that he's not necessarily someone who is consistent with his game time, I think, you know, the quality is there, the, the drive for him to, to come back from these long-term injuries. And I just hope that next season or the season after he's able to, to not pick up these knocks because I think he, he still could very much be the future of this Liverpool defence even if Liverpool as they should go out and sign someone else so for me I think it's a you know it's a really interesting issue and one hopefully that gets resolved in the summer um, but I think we're going to wrap up there you know we've talked Joe Gomez to a really strong degree I think it was a, a really fantastic article by Adam, which, as I said earlier, covers a lot of different angles. So definitely check that out if you haven't already. Um, and Adam, I'll go to you first. Have you got anything to plug? Nothing too serious. I did the match report uh, this week, and I'm sure I'll have a couple of other articles coming out in the next few days. Um, uh, just looking forward to uh, getting back to our winning ways, hopefully against, the, against Bournemouth. So I've got some more positive articles to write. Yeah, looking forward to it. And Tom, how about you? I have got one out on the site at the moment, which is about young players and about how Liverpool um, have sort of different ways of dealing with young players. But it's all positive from my perspective on that. And I've also written an article that isn't out just yet, but should be out very soon about basically just about the, the current situation in the title race, sort of summing up what's gone wrong in the last few games, um, whether or not Liverpool are bottling it and how we're going to look, how it's going to be going forward and sort of basically telling everyone, look, I, there is sort of finding that medium between, look, there is scope for people to be upset and people to be unhappy, but also pointing out that we are still in a title race and anyone who thinks we've already bottled the league is wrong. I think that's a really important piece from Tom. I think there's been a lot of mad reactions on Twitter to 
as we've got to remember, there's been a lot of twists and turns this season, especially in the last City aren't impervious to it either. So it's just something everyone needs to take a breath and enjoy all that's on show at the moment. And hopefully Liverpool can go back to being at the top of the weekend. As for me, um, we've got a running joke on Discord about articles uh, per minute ratio for Adam Lallana and Oxley chamberlain And I've got another Oxley chamberlain article that's coming out basically in light of him and, and him being named in the Champions League squad. And, but yeah, that's that's all from us this week. We'll be back next week at a similar time. So hopefully at that point in time, Liverpool will have beaten Bournemouth and we'll be looking ahead to the next games. So we'll see you then. Podcast Network.